Welcome back to the Shema Podcast, my friends. The topic at hand is how to navigate one's career out there in the corporate world as a Torah-observant religious Jew. And I wanted to explore this with someone else, someone else that had been in my position that has done this, and we can sort of share some stories and hopefully provide some guidance to you as you are beginning to take on this endeavor of observing the Torah. And I'm sure your Etzerah is making you a little nervous and you're concerned, saying you can't do that. You won't be able to advance in your career if you do all these things. My friends, what I'm here to tell you is everything can be navigated. And what's most important to know is the key theme here is that when you make Hashem's will your will, He makes your will His will. So everything always works out. And you always have to remember, too, that our parnasa, our livelihood, it all comes from Him. Once we start to think that our livelihood comes from that earthly employer or that big client, then He allows that to be the case. But once we are in a mindset that it all comes from Him, Nothing ever goes bad. It only goes good as you increase your observance of Torah and to serve the Almighty. So I'm bring on my guest, David Goldman, and we are going to explore this topic and all the different types of situations that occur as you navigate the business world as a religious Jew. Welcome to the Shema Podcast, the podcast for the perplexed, where Torah insights intertwine through personal stories as well as interviews with leading Torah scholars demonstrate the empowering qualities of Torah and mitzvot. For more great Torah learning through Torch, the Torah Outreach Center of Houston, go to torchweb.org. Now to the show. David, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Pleasure to join you on the podcast. Very interesting topic. Just to add to the point, a lot of times we make imaginary things in our mind. We make up things that are like glass ceilings of what we can accomplish in anything in life. And one of those is, is, is as a religious Jew, you can sometimes say to yourself, if I don't work on Saturday, I mean, I worked in the accounting field where and when you're in public accounting, there are definitely people who work seven days a week. I can tell you from personal experience that taking off Shabbat did not inhibit my career at all. And so I'm happy to share whatever I can today. Yeah, that is the key thing is I remember getting apprehensive about all this stuff and it just it, it creates fuel for the Yetzirah. It definitely creates fuel. And it's definitely a, a real psychological thing in all of our brains that there are these things out there that we can't do, whatever they are, and they're generally imaginary. Why don't we start with you telling the audience a little about yourself and your background? Sure. I was actually born in Israel, but my family moved back to the States when I was one. Uh, I grew up in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, not a religious Jew. I was the only Jew going to any of my schools. As a matter of fact, one of my youngest stories I, I can remember is I thought I found a friend who was a Jew in middle school, brought him home. Turns out, my parents told me afterwards he's a Jew for Jesus when they met his parents. But I, I was so excited to meet someone who was Jewish. <laughs> I did grow up very proud as being Jewish. We had a traditional home. We had Friday night dinners, kept a semi-kosher home. But general, you know, all I did for Jewish education growing up was I went to Sunday school and I went to synagogue, you know, on the high holidays or whatnot, had a bar mitzvah. But that was about it for me uh, in terms of religious experiences as a kid, Friday night dinners, and being very proud to be Jewish, very proud that I was born in Israel and that, you know, I was connected to that land. So you're from Israel originally? Yeah, so I was born in Israel. I'm an Israeli citizen. I don't like to tell people that because I don't speak Hebrew. 
so it's kind of <laughs> embarrassing. My parents were Americans who made Aliyah and lived in Israel for eight years. They started a Moshav called Moshav Nevealan in Israel. They got inspired after the Six-Day War to make Aliyah, but ended up moving back for both economic reasons and because my oldest brother had learning disabilities, and there was really nothing for that in Israel. So they moved back to America. They didn't want to move back to New York. They were both from New York, so they ended up moving back to Albuquerque, where my dad's parents were retired. Gotcha. And so that was my early life. From there, my parents moved to Las Vegas when I was uh, in, going into eighth grade. Spent five years there. My high school Jewish connection was I was in BBYO, which is uh, you know more secular, reform, conservative uh, youth group. I did have my first religious experience with that group in that uh, I went on a summer program called Kalah, where they had rabbis who were Orthodox, Reform, conservative, that everything. I, I mean, looking back on those Orthodox rabbis, they were real. They, they must have been real gems. But so I got my first connection on the idea of like what it is to keep Shabbat and those type of ideas. But but as soon as I came back, I went into my normal like high school mode, my friends and whatnot, and I wasn't going to keep Shabbat. And, and right. it just wasn't on my radar yet. But uh, I did get a little bit of inspiration then. And then as I went and spent a year in Israel uh, when I was 18, my freshman year of college, Young Judea year course, came back. My mom, who had started down a path, became religious in Las Vegas at a shul called Young Israel Aish with a rabbi named Rabbi Wine, a very inspirational rabbi. So I had that connection. I ended up, my parents pushed me, and I got a scholarship to go to American Jewish University, which is a conservative university undergraduate in L.A., I went there. That's where I met my wife. I got a degree in, for, for becoming a teacher, and I got a job right out of there in L.A. teaching. And my wife and I got married, and I wasn't religious at the time, but I did have an Orthodox rabbi marry us because about a year earlier, my oldest brother got married by that same rabbi, and I was very impressed by the, the traditions that were involved in the Orthodox marriage ceremony. I just thought it was so much more special than anything I'd seen anywhere else. Shortly thereafter, getting married, my wife and I decided we wanted to keep Shabbat. And we were living in L.A. on the beach, about four blocks from the beach. We went and checked out a conservative synagogue, see if that was what was for us. We went and checked out an Orthodox synagogue. It's called the Shul on the Beach, still there, pretty neat, right on the Venice Boardwalk. And right away, people there who were all happened to be Balchuvas started inviting us over, and we just really liked Then we were like, that's where we want to be. And, and from there, we kind of sprung board into a situation of becoming more religious. We ended up building a very close relationship with another rabbi in L.A. named Rabbi Asher Brander, who had a, has a shul and a, a kolal in, in L.A., and we grew from there. And then we made our way to Houston shortly after, just as we started having kids and realized how expensive it was to live in L.A. We made our way to Houston, Texas. We saw the potential in the community. It was much smaller then, but we thought it would, would be a good place to, to raise kids, variety of Jews and backgrounds at the, in the Orthodox community. And that's where we came about 17 years ago and continued our path of growth from there. Great. And when you moved here, is that when you began your new career in the yeah so go ahead and talk about that a little bit sure so we, when we moved to Houston I was actually working at Robin Aaron Barron Academy I was excited because when I, worked, I lived in LA I actually worked at a conservative synagogue I, I thought maybe you know maybe if I worked at an orthodox school I'd be able to afford the tuition whatever I, I thought maybe and because we moved here because it would be cheaper or whatnot but it turned out that that being a teacher just wasn't it wasn't possible to make ends meet especially because my we were having more kids and my wife was really only working part-time so about a year after we moved here I decided 
decided to go back and get an MBA at University of Houston and look for a career in business. Almost right into that, they make you take this thing called accounting for MBAs, and I decided that a, that a path in accounting was was the way I wanted to go. I really I really enjoyed that class, so that's where when I transferred. So I worked two years. My first our first two years in Houston, I worked. Robert M. Barron, the second year I was already doing the MBA, and then I dropped the MBA because I got an internship, and shortly after that I was working at, at Grant Thornton, uh, a big public accounting firm, and that's where I kind of launched my accounting career. Great. And, and who do you work for now? I work for a, a company called Navitas Petroleum. Kind of funny how Hashem guides your way, but they happen to be a public Israeli company that has an office here in Houston, and I'm the, the U.S. controller for their company. And so I've been there three years. I got the job right before COVID. I'd previously worked for, for another offshore oil and gas company, a private equity company called Deep Gulf Energy for about seven years. They were bought by a public company called Cosmos Energy, and that's what kind of led me over to Navitas. Great. Okay. Awesome. So let's get into this and talk about the the challenges around religious observance, especially you know here in Houston, Texas, the non-Jewish world or even the non-Orthodox Jewish world has no idea what we're doing the majority of the time, and it can be a bit challenging. So you were from going into this environment, working in the oil and gas industry, but did you ever have any challenges where there was that, that corporate event that occurred over the weekend or a big client event, you know, where it's like, you know, if you weren't there, you weren't rubbing elbows with the right people, it could create some potential problems. I have a, like one of those like Amuna type things that, that happened to me almost right away. So, you know, I, as I said, I changed careers. So I, I took out more student loans. I, I went back, got an MBA. I had three kids at the time. I, I got a job with Grant Thornton, which was a big accounting firm, you, you know. And I, and I start there in January. I, I did my MBA in about two and a half years. So I started January. They, they loved to have people starting in January. It's right at the beginning of their busy season. I get there. And I am very big on, you're right, nobody has any idea about Jewish holidays, Shabbat. They just don't have the concept. Their religion doesn't have the concept. Some Mormons I worked with, they kind of have the concept because they take Sunday very seriously. And they usually don't work, but they're more flexible than we are. But anyway, so I get there. And... You know, I had an intern there, so they knew I didn't work Saturdays. So Saturdays was already, you know, I came back, same place. It was already kind of established. Yeah. But when I first got there in January, Pesach was coming up. I was thinking, you know what, I'm going to get this on the schedule. I got with the scheduler. I said, you know, I got to take off four days, like in the middle of what's considered busy season when you're not supposed to. So I put it on the calendar. She didn't say anything to me. Next day, I get an email. Maybe next day, a couple of days, I get an email from the managing partner. You know, you can't take off time during, during this time. We're in January. I walk right into his office. I say, look, you know, I, I can't work that time. You know, I'll do whatever I need to do. I'll work more time on Sundays. I'll work more time the extra days. But I'm not going to, you know, I'm an Orthodox Jew. I can't work. End of story, I, huh? End of story kind of thing. You know, I was nervous about it. I'm not going to lie to anybody. I, I was definitely nervous. And, and I probably said even silly things. I think I remember saying something silly like, oh, doctors can, but we can't. And he was like, oh, you can't get a rabbit. You know, whatever, <laughs> whatever it was. I, 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 but I, I went in there and I was straightforward and I was very clear and I communicated it. And I never heard a word about it again. And I did fine in busy season. I got those days off. And in Grant Thornton, I, you know, I was there three and a half years and they were ready to make me manager when I was there, which is a very, usually would take 
four and a half years to five years to become promoted to manager. But I was basically when I left for Deep Golf Energy, they, they told me I was going to be promoted to manager that summer. I wanted to do something different because, uh, you know, public accounting is a great place to learn, but it wasn't really a place I saw myself long term. I, di- I didn't find audit work as meaningful. I knew I wanted to go to industry. Basically, I, was u- I always knew I was using it as a platform to jump into industry. So when I saw the right industry job, I, I went ahead and did that. Okay, so let's go back to that, though. So you, you went in there, you had conviction, you said, look, it's just, it's just the way it is. I'm not working on a Saturday, but all your colleagues and everyone that you're probably, that's probably wanting that promotion are working on Saturdays. For one, how'd you get the work done? So in terms of Saturdays, so like uh, that actually goes back to when I was an intern. I told them I'm not going to work on Saturdays. So it was also during business season, my, my internship. So they called me in and I worked on a Sunday. Now, there were people who were working seven days a week. They were usually more senior people. But I, whatever work was assigned to me, I always made sure it got completed. I happened to be a very efficient worker and I don't like like a lot of you know I started there I was 29 years old a lot of people there were 22 years old they may spend like the first hour or two of the day doing absolutely nothing talking to each other right they go out to lunch they like they knew they had to be there till nine o'clock at night or whatever it was because it was busy season they sort of they didn't care at like the beginning of the day I was always like trying to knock out things as quickly as possible and when I be when I got to the senior level I was always trying to leave at 7 or 8 p.m. as opposed to 9.30 p.m. or whatever it was, just by being more efficient that way. So I never had a problem getting the work done. And my, my reviews were, all, were always high. And, and it actually, I don't know if it's like this at every public accounting firm, but it actually mattered a lot more whether you got the work done and the client was happy than how many hours you billed or, you know, whether you worked on a Saturday or not, whatever right. it was. So a lot of people just sort of, they spend time in the office probably for for optics yeah. right with yes. their superiors but like as far as the level of productivity that actually happens during the day yes i would say that is correct yeah. i would say that is that is very correct and a lot of people there are for the social and they're young and like you know whatever it is but i think people also liked working with me because i was older and more mature so you know there's just less less of the things that come with like a 22 year old right out of college right exactly yeah so i had, I had very similar experience where i weren't required to work last saturdays but in our industry in the investment industry there's always there's conferences and a lot of times they would they like to do them over the weekend and i was like the hired gun guy they bring out to take everyone out entertaining and and drinking and all, all that type stuff and yeah when i told them you know i, I can't go to those it wasn't hard to find someone to delegate taking people out drinking to. I was like, there's younger guys here. They, yeah. they, they got this too. You yeah. know? So no one really missed a beat there. That was not an issue. But I do know, with my experience, they knew me as a totally not religious. So I'm like now reinventing myself and introducing this new version of myself, which I know is a, is a challenge for a lot of people on its own. I think what became challenging is when I said to them, I'm going to be taking off and observing the, the high holidays are coming up, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. And the CEO said, hey, no problem. Just, you know, I know you got a bunch of products coming on, but just tell me which two days do you need off? <laughs> I will say it, it would have been more of a challenge for me had I not already come in from a lot of people ask me why I wear a keep when I'm interviewing, why I wear a keeper? Because, 
you can talk to your rabbi, but it's not necessarily required to to wear a kippah to work in a secular world. I, I mean, I, I don't I don't know all the halachas. I'm not an expert on it. Better to ask someone who, who knows a lot more than me. But I do know people who are Orthodox who don't wear kippahs to work or whatever. One one of the reasons why I do is because I want them to know I'm different and that I'm going to be asking for things like this. Exactly. You know, with my experience, there was yeah, they were expecting that number of days, and quite frankly, I was. I had a massive project that I was trying to roll out. But, you know, at that point, I knew, like, just have a moon, it'll all get done. And I, I know that my productivity, the idea flow, it, it comes from Hashem. So you'll, you'll find times where I'm, where I'm just trying to get something done, and it's not happening anyway. I can't get things done as quickly. That was an adjustment, for sure, and it is every year. They're always sort of biting their nails around August, just like, what's Dan's schedule going to look like this September, yeah. right? Because, you know, everyone's depending on me to get, you know, a lot of different projects done and lead people on, on different projects as well. But the bottom line is, right, it, the work always gets done. What have you found as far as the, the relationships with people like your superiors when you go to them and tell them, I have to take off, it's not, it's not an option, I can't work on these days, what has been their attitude back to you as a result of telling them something that they're not used to hearing at all? So I just feel like if you say it with a lot of conviction, I, I do I do want to say that, like, you know, like I don't remember what was going through my mind, like the instance, the story I said earlier. But I, I do usually when, I, when I'm nervous about something like that and explaining something like that, I usually do talk to Hashem and say, like, can you help me with this situation? Like, I'm going to go in here. I don't know what it's going to be like. But I do usually find that people are very respectful. I mean, I, I think a little bit of it goes to the way the world is right now in, in America in terms of there, there is a little bit of they have to show respect for religions and for races and whatever. So, so we do have a little of that going for us that, you know, maybe Jews, Orthodox Jews did not have going for them 50 years ago. I, I think, you know, most people... If someone is someone who is a person who produces, then whatever it was, like, I mean, like going back to that story with the managing director or the partner of our of our office, you know, he might have been thinking in his head like, you know, this guy, you know, we're going to get rid of him this summer. But by the time he saw all the reviews, it doesn't matter, you know, like right. what I asked for or what I did. I'm not sure. Yeah, I find people people as long as you you communicate early and and directly and explain you know to the best of your way and you ask you daven to for Hashem to help you that that all these all these things do work out absolutely and and yeah I definitely see that Hashem helps me be more productive so no one's going to care then like you said as long as we we get the the work done and I do think there is a a level of respect that is earned that you're willing to forgo certain things like I had a client once that that same conference I stopped attending. I had a person I've been talking to for years, but never really did that much business with me. And he was part of this company that had this conference, and we were talking. And I said, "Look, we've been talking for years now, you know, but why why aren't we doing business together? Like, you know." And he's you know what he said to me? He said, "I'll tell you the issue. You stop showing up to my conference. You know, if you don't think my conference is important to participate in it, mm-hmm. then." That's going to be that's an issue for me, you know, really doing business with you in a much more robust way. And I told him, I said, the reason I can't do your conference is because I'm a Jew and we keep Shabbos and I cannot work on that day. 
I can't travel on that day. I can't transact business on that day. There's certain things I do do, but it's none of those things. And I go, and I told him, I was like, I don't care if there was millions of dollars on the line. I do not work on Shabbos. I don't roll on Shabbos. <laughs> but here's what's amazing. He turned around to where he started saying he had so much respect for that. He said, that is incredible. It's totally great. I totally understand that. He calls me up a couple of weeks later and said, Dan, I just want to tell you that I was having a, a barbecue lunch with some of the guys from church. And I was telling him what you told me. And he was saying to them, like, these Jews, he's like, they'll give up any amount of money for their Sabbath. Mm-hmm. He's like, we need to be more like them. Yeah. And it just turned everything around. Just second that point, I, I think that there – I also think here in Texas, like, there are a lot of Christians who are very serious about religion. So they, they have a certain respect as long as, you know, you communicate it as your service of God in a clear manner. Now, there, there's a – when we say holiday, it means something entirely different. Yeah. You know, so when we're taking all these days off, I know, like, the, a lot of the colleagues, a lot of the guys that work for me, you know, say, like, you guys have a lot of – like, we're having celebrations all the time. We're having pool parties, you know, <laughs> and uh, we're shooting off fireworks and getting drunk with our families. You know, they're, they're just visioning their holidays. Right. They don't understand, like, the seriousness of what we are – working to accomplish mm-hmm. and then they so they certainly don't get like not being able to answer a phone you know or like well we, are you checking email at all and you have to explain like no not for these two days i won't be checking an email will have access to email no i want my phone on talk about that has that ever come up where that's been an issue for you so uh when i was working at deep golf energy i was the senior accountant oh that's what i was hired as when i first started there and one of my jobs was as part of the uh, board presentation, which was quarterly, we, we were private equity back. And we were multiple companies, not one company. I was in charge of the GNA, which was a complicated calculation because it's shared between the companies and, it, and it's based on, you know, how much time is spent on each of the companies. Anyways, so I prepared it, uh, you know, I took it over cause fr- from uh, basically someone who was my boss because it kept getting messed up and they thought I would do a better job with it. Anyway, so I did it and I put it together. One year, one of the board meetings was around the time of uh, Rosh Hashanah and I, you know, I prepared this or whatever and the CFO, who was very into this calculation, he was like obsessed with it. I never understood why because it wasn't really that big of a deal, but he was obsessed. With this calc- he's, he like he was obsessed with everything, but, but he was obsessed with this calculation. And he thought something was busted in it. I don't think there was in the end, but he started calling me on Rosh Hashanah. And, and you know, I obviously, I, don't, I just turned off my phone, so I, I didn't know. I, I, I pick up my phone after Rosh Hashanah, after two days, and there's like 45 calls from him. I don't know <laughs> <laughs> what it was. Funny thing is, there, there was another Jewish guy who worked there. He wasn't religious, but he kept telling him, like, he, he wasn't like a completely oblivious Jewish guy. He understood that I wasn't going to, but he kept telling him, you know, there's nothing you can do. Like, <laughs> he's, he's not going to pick it up. He's not going to check his email. But, you know, it worked out fine. I, I, that was almost at the beginning of me working there, and I never, you know, had any issue. I think he got the hint that he's not going to get me on those, on those days, um, and I continued to be in charge of that calculation for the whole time I worked there, so it wasn't like I, I had messed it up or whatever. But it, it was just one of, the, one of those, those funny stories that, 
<laughs> I even joke about it. I, I keep in touch with him. I even joke about it with him now. I mean, he, he happened to be a guy who was like kind of a philo-Semitic. For those of you who don't know, like an, opposite of anti-Semitic. He's like one of these Christians who's very pro-Israel and stuff like that. Right. But, but uh, it was just kind of funny. I mean, I remember I think the, the other guys on the team saying like, he wanted to drive over to my house to discuss it with me. <laughs> Anyways, thank God he didn't, but uh, it all worked out in the end. Yeah, I have found that too, just from I managed a, a sales team, and especially the guys who cover the, the southern territories told me they meet a lot of firms where they're like Christian based advisory firms, and they ask them questions like that. So they point to me. Because really, the, the guys in Manhattan are like they're not religious at all. These guys out there, but they always point. It's like they always say, like, well, you know, yeah, Dan Coleman, he's an Orthodox Jew, and I was like, does that go over well? I was like, oh, they, they love that. The Christians <laughs> love that. You know, they, there are especially in Texas, there are a lot of very philo-Semitic uh, Christians. I never heard that term for uh, philo-Semitic. I, I believe that's the right term. It's like pro. It's the opposite pro- of anti-Semitic. Okay, I like that. Okay. So those things can all be worked through, too. And, and just for those listening, too, for one, in the end, nothing's ever going to go bad. I even told the CEO when I was taking off all these days, and I, and I started telling him, look, here's all the days I'll be taking off from now on. I mean, you know I've been doing Shabbos now for a year. And I told him, I was like, if, if, that, if you have a problem with that, I'm okay with it. Like, I'm not some guy that's going to, like, call the ACLU and sue. Like, mm-hmm. if, if you, it doesn't work for you, we're close. We've been through a lot together. I'll look for another job. He's like, no, 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 no. No, I want you here. We'll make this work. And, and it has worked just fine. Let's talk, though, about keeping kosher. Because, like, in my line of business, where you're out trying to cultivate new clients, deals are done over meals, quite frankly. I mean, a lot of times, you know, you are working to – Bring someone, you know, get them out of their office when they're not busy to have a meeting with them. Dinner, you have conferences, and everything takes place around a meal. Now, this is where the amazing torch rabbis were of zero help to me. Because I'd be like, okay, well, I'm, I want to start keeping kosher, but when I go to these restaurants, and I was just sort of going to non-kosher restaurants and having the fish and vegetables, so like, but I want to go all the way. And I would tell them, like, I'm traveling here, you know, to uh, – Kansas City or Wichita, Kansas, or these little, you know, small places. And they'd be like, it's not an issue, Dan. There's a kosher deli in the grocery store there. I'm like, no, that doesn't solve my problem at all. Because, you know, it's like like here in Houston. You know, if I were to call up some advisor, financial advisor in, in downtown Houston, say, you know, can I get you out of the office for a meeting? And they'll be like, okay, all right, I can get off on this day, take an hour off. Come meet you. There's lots of great restaurants by me. And I said, oh, no, no, no. I can't eat there. What I need you to do is take an additional 40 or 45 minutes out of your day to drive over to southwest Houston where they're thinking, like, is there anything over there? I've never been there my entire life. I've lived in Houston. (laughs) Or is it a safe neighborhood? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah, you just get on West Belfort. You know, when you you start to hear the gunshots, you're you're getting close. You're getting close, right? You know, and – that just doesn't fly. Now, since I started becoming observant, I'm not in the field anymore. You know, I'm, I'm a sales manager, but I do go out. So I can't even see how I would have done that job, not being able to go into a non-kosher restaurant. Now, when I travel with the sales team now, it's them. They have meetings in a non-kosher restaurant, 
but they eat with them. I explain because I'm wearing my yarmulke, so they know like I don't eat here. I just get a you know a diet coke or something, have a conversation. But it's not awkward because there they're eating together, you know. But if it was just me, it, it wouldn't work. I mean, have you ever found yourself in that? And I even know what to advise someone if they were saying, "Hey, I want to be an investment wholesaler, and I, I want to be a from Jew." How do you do that? I don't even have an answer for them, you know? Yeah, so it's similar. You know, in public accounting, you go out to eat a lot. The managers come. They take you out to lunch. Um, When I was first in public accounting, I would just go out wherever they were going, and I'd get a Diet Coke, and I did have my coupon, so it was kind of obvious. You know, I explained it to my team members or whatever. I've also had client meetings. You know, it can be a challenge. You can, I mean, I have had client meetings where, we go to a non-kosher restaurant and we're ordering kosher food. The problem is I don't mind just sitting there having a Diet Coke. The problem is it makes the other people uncomfortable. Exactly. That, that's really the issue. So uh, I have had times where we order kosher food to the non-kosher restaurant and we, you know, the kosher, you know, we call the restaurant ahead of time and let them know that this is what's going to be going on. And we have the kosher food inside the non-kosher restaurant. Um, so I, I, we've done it that way. Wait, wait, wait. Um, the, in the, and they're okay with that? Yeah, if you call them in advance. It depends on the restaurant, not all. Well, I just had a, you know, I work for an Israeli company now. And they understand, obviously, the idea of kosher. But there are, there are plenty of non-Jews not working there. So we went... They actually wanted to go to Casa. Unfortunately, Casa wasn't wasn't open. It was a Monday. We had a meeting, and so we went to a non-kosher restaurant. But they ordered it. We, we they called the rest. The person who was arranging it called the restaurant in advance. Said, we're, you know, we're bringing in two, uh, whatever, two non-kosher meals. I mean, two kosher meals. And they, there's another guy who works works with. Okay, the so but, just bringing a kosher meal for yeah, you, yeah, yeah, and then everyone yeah, else. Everyone, okay, so you're still spending money there. there. Everybody else, yeah, everybody else. No, yeah, they definitely would not allow you to bring in all kosher meals <laughs> to a restaurant. But if you have one or two, along with full, you know, drink menu being ordered and 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 other food, you, usually they're okay with it. Or maybe they they can even you can tell them you can charge a fee on top of it. But it, it is it is. I mean, you got to call in advance and arrange it. It is it is a challenge. But as all things in life, if that's what Hashem wants you to do, that's what you know. That's the right thing to do, and that that'll end out well for you. Great. So you, you can navigate the situation. I, 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 will, I will say one thing. In Houston, Houston, thank God, has gotten some better kosher restaurants. I, I remember when I first started in public accounting here, there, there really wasn't – you know, managers would come. They know I was kosher. They know I sat at the restaurant with them drinking a Diet Coke. They say, let's go to a kosher restaurant. So I just – you know, I, I remember some years ago, Susie's Grill was here, and it was like on the side of a gas station. It took like, <laughs> non-Jewish guys to Susie's Grill. The food was fine, whatever, but like they're like, are we sitting in a gas station? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I'm like after being in Kingwood, we we're like so ecstatic about having kosher restaurants all around us. But you're right. If I was going to have a, a meeting with someone and they're used to the Galleria area, you know, downtown with all these nice restaurants and white tablecloth, and you're yeah, telling them, like, okay, the way you spot it is the strip center was built back in the 70s, and I know you spot a new BMW, so be careful because it hasn't been, the parking lot has not been paved since the 70s either. You know, they're like, what's going on here? You know, it's just a different experience, but you know, I have not had any problems. It has been, you know, when I go on the road now, it's it's challenging. I got to pack my food. I get a hotel that has a little kitchenette. Mm-hmm. And when I'm on the road with the, the sales guy, I just 
bring little things to snack on in between our appointments. So I'm uh, nursed and yeah, just go in the restaurant and have a Diet Coke and it, it seems to work out okay. Although, you know, in those days when you're hitting appointments all day and then traveling back to the airport and you're assisting yourself on almonds, <laughs> you know, it, it yeah. can wear you out after a while. You can only yeah. eat so many protein bars that my stomach can handle, <laughs> but it, it, it does work out. Does your business, does your industry cause you to need to go to like conferences and events like that? So I was thinking when you were saying like around conferences that you'd miss because of Shabbat, I, you know, when I worked at Grant Thornton, you ha- I had to go as you progressed. First of all, we're CPAs, so we have to get our CPE units. But as part of being part of the Grant Thornton, you know, national organization, we had to go to conferences in Chicago every year. And, you know, as you progressed, as you moved up, you had one. I remember one year, the only time I could go to the conference was it was right before Yom Kippur. So the conference was, I think, Sunday. I think Yom Kippur started like Wednesday night, and the conference was Sunday through Thursday. So I, I wrote them and said the other days of the conference were like either in the middle of Sukkot or like I couldn't get any days in. So I wrote them and said, you know, I, you know, the national office that's in charge of this, whatever. I, you know, I have Yom Kippur starting Wednesday. I need to leave the conference. I'm going to miss Wednesday, Thursday, but this is the only time I can do it at my level. This was only date. There were a couple dates, and that was the best one. And they, they were okay with they, – they were fine. They, you know, I mean, like I said, luckily we live in the year 2020 and – there are 24, what are we in, 23? 23. And uh, <laughs> people are going to be flexible for things like this. And they, they were fine with it. They got me a ride. I, I had to arrange to spend Yom Kippur without my family, without, in Chicago with friends, friends' family. But it was actually a very beautiful Yom Kippur, and uh, you know, I was I did the conference, and and I and I didn't have the issue. Uh, now where I am, really, you know, I I, I have to get CPEs, but I, I plan my own conferences. But that that was one uh, one thing I remember when I was in public accounting that they had these certain times where there were meetings. But you know, when you work for big national CPA firms, they usually are very familiar with things like kosher and these type of holidays, and they will work with you however however they can. That's great. I have her when I was talking to Rabbi Nagel and I was asking him, like, who's someone to talk about this subject with me? And he gave me your name. But he was telling me, like, you know, when you're working in, like, places like New York, it's just not as big of a deal. Because, like, my colleagues in Manhattan probably know more about Torah observant Judaism than Mm – many Jews in Texas, you know, because yeah. they're, they're living in buildings yeah. with, from Jews and all that. But uh, that, that, that is good to hear. I, I know that the, with the conferences as well as, you know, there's a lot of meals there. It's definitely not as fun as it used to be. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tell them, it's like, you know, because people who are, I know who are from, from birth, like, mm-hmm. no, it's like really nice when you're like in this big, nice resort mm-hmm. and you and in the morning, you call room service, mm-hmm. and they bring an omelet yeah. into your room. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just like now, like it's just not as exciting to me because now I'm like driving somewhere else to get food, bring mm-hmm. it back, eat my hotel room, so I can get downstairs whenever you know when the events are happening. But you know, do I have any regrets about any of that? No. But all, all these things can be navigated. They definitely take a lot of advanced planning, mm-hmm. though. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, like like everything that's important in life, it take, takes planning, but, but agreed, it does take some planning. I think that's the big thing when you start becoming observant is because when you're not, 
having access to food is not a hard it's easy right yeah i mean you go yeah. you know wherever you go you go to airport you travel here there's gonna be a restaurant you can pull into get some food you don't have to think about it at all you know now i have like a a checklist on my phone before i travel anywhere making sure i have each meal covered mm-hmm. uh, or at least know where i'm going to get I, it there i should introduce you to you know pomegranate will ship you great food anywhere in the country really yeah yeah. What's the? Uh, yeah, it's a supermarket out of Brooklyn, but they ship it FedEx overnight, and it's like food that's double wrapped. You pop it in a tray of microwave, and you have kosher like meal that's probably really? as good as anything you can get. If you have a kitchen, you can put it in an oven. They can double wrap it, or you can double wrap it. You know, and you'll have uh, cooked good food any, anywhere you're at. Nice. So what, what's the name of it again? Pomegranate is the name of that. You know, like dot com? com. I think is Palm the, dot com. Think so. Here, I'll yeah, let's you. share that with the audience. Tell, tell, I want, I want to know that one. Tell you that Pe- people take it for cruises and stuff like that. It's very useful for that. The palmpeople.online.com. There you go. Okay, see, we need to write like a how-to like a, book, like a how-to book, like the non-halakhic things you need to know to be a from Jew. There are like uh, also like I've traveled with my family for many years. Obviously, I've always, since I've had a family, I've always been from, and, and there are a lot of times you can find food that is kosher when you're on the road that you know like for breakfast like cereals and milks when food is cold i mean you have to know what you're doing but you can usually find things that are kosher in 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 places uh, you know and when it's cold it there are less uh kosher issues than than when it's cooked or whatever right excellent okay here's another situation i've found myself in is have to daven three times a day. That's another thing that comes up, conferences and meetings. Like, I got to tell the guys, like, I need to get back to my hotel or if there's a, a shul I know nearby. And you got to fit that into your schedule. I'm sure, has that come up for you as well? Yeah. So I've had, you know, times where I'm like, you know, at work very late and I'm starting to realize, you know, I got to daven mincha. Like, you know. Yeah. Um, I always – I can't remember a sp- specific time where this happened, but I know it's happened to me many times over you know the last 10-plus years or so um, where I, I just have to get up and, like, you know, excuse myself and, like, go back to my office and daven, you know, mencha. You know, shacharit is, is easier because it's usually before anybody gets to work, so that, that, that can always be built in. I, the biggest problems I, I can remember is with mencha, and, the, and, the, and especially when I was, like, a – a client serving you know position you go to their offices so you know it's not like where you're in your own office and you can go step out and close your door or something like that you got to find a place where you know where you can dive in and you know you don't have someone looking at you like you're talking to yourself or whatever right. it is yeah I, I cannot remember unfortunately a specific story but i know it has happened many times before where i've been in the middle of meetings and been realized you know god I, i'm gonna be back in like five or ten minutes i i, I you know, whatever, and and I and I leave and and go daven mincha and then come back. I wouldn't personally davening is one of the things I connect to the most, so it's important to me. So I wouldn't give it up for anything in the world. It's like whatever awkward, few awkward situations I've had to deal with around that have been well worth the ability to connect with the Creator of the universe. So exactly, you know, I've just had, I just had to explain that to the guys when I've been out traveling with them. Just like I can't go from this appointment to this appointment to a dinner meeting. Mm-hmm. It's like I got you got to. Drop me off the hotel. I'll, I'll meet you guys or whatever. I let them know enough advance, and they can they can coordinate the the time. I have found what's nice though now with technology and the Bluetooth headphones is that when you do find yourself in a place where you have to just stand and mm-hmm. have a minka, you know that 
I'm looking at my art scroll on my phone. You got your ear pods in. Mm-hmm. Everyone thinks you're talking to someone, right? <laughs> so it's sort of nice now, except yeah. except they're probably wondering why you're stepping back and yeah. stepping forward and bowing. But yeah. that, that throws people off by a little bit. But the rest, you know, they just think you're talking to someone. I think I remember explaining once at work to someone when I had to do it 10 or 15 years ago. Like I was, you know, an audit. When you're an audit, you're in a room with like six people. So if you have to just stand up and daven mincha, like, you know, like you're in the – so I explained to them, you know, I need to pray. Like, it's similar to yoga. Like, it's very, oh, nice. very something, you know, that calms me or whatever. And so I do, then just go ahead and do it. I feel like more often than not, those situations are Kiddush Hashem, not, you know, like a sanctification, a glorification of, of God. And people look at that as a positive thing, even though you are interpreting it as they are looking at you like you're a weirdo. Like you're you're projecting what they're thinking, but I, I think more often than not, when I've actually talked to people about it, 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 it it's they look at it they they look at it with admiration. Right, exactly, and I think that's this is part of the reason for the final exile, right? I mean, Hashem knew He was going to embed us all over the place, and He wants us. And there's a percale vote as well about you know. You know, being bold as a leopard and, and, and as swift as an eagle. I can't remember the exact Burkeo Vos, but one of the things when I was reading the commentary on it's talking about even in the face of maybe possibly someone mocking you, when you're serving Hashem and you do it with, with, with confidence, if we're not flitching about it, that, that is exactly how we, as you said, we bring honor to Hashem in this world. And I've never, as you said throughout this podcast, I've never had any type of negativity brought to me. I was, a matter of fact, davening Minka at the airport last year. And when I came back and sat down at the seat where I was waiting for my flight, this man came up to me and said that the, he goes, the Jewish people are the, like the nations. You know, he saw what I was doing mm-hmm. and he was just really mm-hmm. being very complimentary to me for being a Jew and, and doing that. So, we just need to understand that a lot of times, you know, uh, you know, it, take, it takes confidence, it takes self-confidence and self-esteem, which is something all of us need to work on. But, but most of the time, people respect, uh, you know, 95% of the time, don't assume that they look at you like you're a weirdo or something, like you're whatever. It, it's most of the time they're looking, at, people are seeing you when you're doing Hashem's will in a positive light. They're, they're impressed. That you have, uh, you know, I've had multiple t- people tell me over my professional career, non-Jews, and how impressed they are, you know, that I keep kosher, that I daven, wh- whatever it is, you know, diff- different things. I've only heard positive things back. Now, I've thought in my head, I don't, I, you know, people have those doubts in their head. It's the HR, so it's natural to have those doubts that, oh, I'm going to get up and daven now, I'm going to look a weirdo. Oh, I'm not eating food, I look like a weirdo. Oh, I, you know, I need to go in and tell them I have to take off another group of holidays. Right. You know, like, they're going to think I'm crazy and they're going to fire me. Like, it's natural to think that. We all are on level, you know, and we, but at the end of the day, most people are going to respect you if you have principles and most of all, you're going to get a lot out of when you when you overcome yourself, those self-doubts in your head and you overcome it, you're going to get a lot of help from Hashem to get to the next level. Exactly. Amen. Beautiful. Thank you so much, David. I appreciate you coming on, sharing your stories with me and the audience. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Torch so they can continue to spread Torah wisdom to the world by making a donation at torchweb.org and clicking Donate in the top right corner of the page. 
And if you would like to get in contact with our host with comments, suggestions for future topics of learning, or questions for him or his guest rabbis, you may email him at president at torchweb.org.